0: Welcome to Destiny Spirit Church. I was, uh, saw this commercial a while back, and I'd only seen it maybe once or twice at the maximum. It's a really cool commercial. You may have seen it, you may not have seen it. And uh, I just really love this commercial. It was of uh, this uh, boy, and he's about, you know, eight, nine, ten years old, and he's out on the softball field all by himself. There's no one out on the field, and there's no one in the stand. He's out there with just a bat and the ball in his hand. And so he's standing there, and he's fiddling with it, and he looks up, and he says, I am the greatest batter in the world. And he throws the ball up in the air, and he swings, and he misses. And he says, Strike one. (laughs) Have you seen it? It's a great commercial. And then the second time, he goes, I am the greatest batter in the world. And he throws the ball up again, and he swings, he misses again. He's like, strike two. And then there's a big hesitancy, you know, and he's looking down. And he goes, and then with as much enthusiasm as he can muster, he looks up and he goes, I am the greatest batter in the world. And he throws the ball up in the air, and it's almost like it's in slow motion, and you fully expect that he's going to hit it this time. And he swings and he misses again. And he says, Strike three, I'm out. And he just looks down and you're like, Oh, you know. And then all of a sudden he looks up. It's like you can almost see the light bulb coming up over his head and his big gleam in his eye, big smile on his face. And he goes, I am the greatest pitcher in the world. <laughs> <laughs> he goes, Woohoo! And he goes, butting off the field. <laughs> Even advertising a product, and I think it says something about perseverance. And I'm like, that is probably the best commercial I have seen in forever. <laughs> it's so cute. <laughs> and so, I'm gonna, I'm gonna use that commercial um, to tie back into my uh, sermon later on. And so, what I wanted to ask you is if I came up to any of you at any given point in time and said, Are you a slave? Are you any slave? Are you a slave? And you'd say, well, no, I'm nobody's slave. I'm not a slave. You know, we would deny that, right? We would say, no, that's not true. Yet, of course, I know it depends on where the circumstances. Well, at different times, we have all either responded to God or to life as one of a slave and not a son or a daughter of God. And so... Uh, you know, I want to call this message, Throw Out the Slave and Her Son. <laughs> and there, it comes from Scripture. Um, I saw another version of the Ten Commandment movie about a month or so ago, and Mike and I were watching it. We hadn't seen this version before, and we really liked it. It was just an, a refreshing change uh, from previous movies on it. And there was a point in the movie where I found myself hanging on every word that this character Moses was saying. And it was at this point when they were, you know, the Israelites were rescued and they were in the desert and he was yelling at them and t- and just frustrated telling them stop thinking like a slave. You're still thinking like a slave and start thinking like a free man. And it was a great exhortation and my my spirit just really witnessed to what they were saying. And I think that it's interesting how Moses was selected to be the one to, to free and lead Israel out of slavery. He, he was a Hebrew by birth only, and, you know, so his blood, he was a Hebrew. But he was never a slave. Now, we would probably think, well, why didn't God pick a fellow slave and grant him freedom? Because they would be able to identify with him. And we always think of identifying with people that are more like us, because um, it's, it's, that's how our affinity is, is you draw near to people who think like us. And so it's hard for us to receive from those that are different from us. And Moses, he had, he I think, feared the people for good reason, thinking that they won't receive him because he was not one of them. And so he, he did have a reason. Um, there was also that scene that after Moses um, had gone out and seen, he had killed the Egyptian, and the next day he interrupted a, a Hebrew, beating up another Hebrew, And so the the guy was hostile back to him and says, well, who made you prince or judge over us? Are you intending to kill me as you did the Egyptian? And then Moses was afraid and said, surely the matter has become known. And that's when he fleed from Egypt. But it's interesting that the guy was right. He goes, who made you a prince? Well, he was a prince. He was a prince of Egypt. He was raised the whole time under Pharaoh, um, the daughter of Pharaoh's care, and so he very much was a prince, um, and that's, that's because Moses was ordained by God to be a prince, and he knew what it was like to be a prince and not a slave, so he, he didn't think or act like a slave in his life, it just wasn't in his makeup, because that wasn't, and so his upbringing was very purposeful and strategic, and it shaped who he was and how he thought. And so he didn't have a slave mentality. Mm -hmm. And um, so that's why God um, selected him, not just to put him in that position, but to make sure that he did not have that mentality as baggage Mm -hmm. to come in and help the Israelites. And so we can't have a slave mentality. Now, just like the characters in the Narnia movie that recently we saw, uh, many of us saw, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, those three children, when they came into the land of Narnia, They, over time, discovered who they really were, that they were actually a prince, a king, a princess, a queen. And it was really awkward for them because they're thinking, we're just, you know, ordinary children, but they weren't. And so eventually, in the movie, they stepped into that very identity um, that they discovered who they were. And so you had one, the girl became great at archery, good marksman. And, uh, you know, the other ones had their gifts and talents to fight the good fight. And that's because they knew who they were. And they, sh- they wore the clothing of kings and queens and princes um, in that movie. And so um, we too were meant to rule. And that's the message of that movie, too, is we're meant to rule. And a lot of Christians don't get that, what, what, that, what that was about. And, and we have to come into our true identity as sons and daughters uh, of the Most High God, but we have to break off that bondage of slavery that Christians still have. And it's not just people outside of Christ, but it's even the body of Christ. We still have some type of bondage in our life at different times of our life. Now, a slave cannot free others the only one who has that free man thinking. Moses, the deliverer, he foreshadowed Jesus to be our deliverer, the only one truly qualified to set all men free. Well, so we have to be free ourselves in order to set others free. So the areas that we struggle with when we come out of it, that is the area that we can help others get free. Also, slaves cannot encourage or cheer on others to be free. And uh, of course, she's not here. So I'm sure I'm taking liberty here to, to, you know, with Sheila. She, you know, she grew up in the projects, and so she has at times gone back to visit her friends back there, and they would be like, you know, oh, you're you're too good for us now, or why don't you move back here? You know, why don't you still live here? Well, she bettered herself. She got her life out of that projects, and and she's free. And but they could not be happy for her, and they could not encourage her. Why? because of that slave mentality, and so that's how people want. They want to pull us back in, and others who see that you have freedom, they can resent you for it, and so they'll try to bring us back into bondage or legalism or traditions, and in cultures around the world today where you have, like, the peasants or the commoners who are oppressed by the powers to be, um, you know, we can watch those things on television and think that, the, the, the right thing in our sense of justice is free the, free the peasants and get rid of all the other powers to be and put them in charge. You know, that would be true justice, right? But you know what? Um, that would be chaos. That would be major trouble. Um, in fact, it's not a good idea for people who were enslaved to suddenly be in charge. Slaves are not supposed to be ruling. And that's Scripture. Um, listen to this. Proverbs 19.10 says luxury is not fitting for a fool, much less for a slave to rule over princes. Proverbs 29.19 says a slave will not be instructed by words alone, for though he understands, there will be no response. Uh, Proverbs 30.21, under three things the earth quakes, and under four it cannot bear up. And one of them that was mentioned was under a slave when he becomes the king. Ecclesiastes 10:5 There is an evil I have seen under the sun like an error which goes forth from the ruler folly is set in many exalted places while rich men sit in humble places I have seen slaves riding on horses and princes walking like slaves on the land so if you were somebody important you rode on the horse if you were a slave you walked on foot that's like Um, ancient culture. And so this is what Scripture is saying. This is what God says, and it, it, it might agitate our sense of fair play or justice, but God in His infinite wisdom knows what He is doing. And so we can be physically free from slavery, but we're not necessarily free spiritually or mentally. And it can actually permeate every aspect of our life. And we Christians tend to isolate things and just talk about how it affects us spiritually. But if you have a slave mentality, it will actually filter in through every aspect of life. And so you may want to ask, well, what is a slave, and how does one become one, according to these ancient biblical history that we have? Well, the word um, slave is doulos in in, uh, Greek. It's also translated into our Bible as servant. It's the same word. And a slave is a person totally responsible to and dependent upon another person. They legally had no rights. And you can become a slave by capture in war, default on a debt. That's pretty scary. Inability to support oneself. So voluntarily selling oneself, being sold by parents as a child who are destitute, uh, birth to slave parents, and a conviction of a crime. And so it can cut across all economic levels and nationalities. In fact, today, worldwide, there's estimated 21 million people that are slaves, many of them children. Uh, the laws and ordinances that were given to Moses after the Ten Commandments by the Lord uh, was on in, on in Exodus 21 on how to treat slaves. Well, I think it's interesting that God gave former slaves, ordinances on how to treat slaves. Think about that for a minute. If you were just set free and then God's telling you how to treat slaves, you would probably think, well, there's no way that I would ever enslave someone because I know how it feels, right? But isn't, it's interesting that he did this because he knows what's in the hearts of men. And so in God's wisdom and compassion, he set boundaries in place in order to protect these people that would be enslaved because he had compassion for them. Um, and to have a fair treatment for them. But his goal was always freedom for Israel and freedom for people. It is all about redemption, not slavery as a lifestyle. Um, And what also is interesting is that even slaves were afforded the right to circumcision, which means inclusion in Israel, Sabbath rest, and holidays. Yet people today, we treat ourselves as slaves because we don't even make use of the gifts that slaves in this custom Um, experience. We don't give ourselves Sabbath rest. We don't even take the time to celebrate holidays. We treat ourselves like slaves. You know, so God referred to Jesus and Israel as his servants, not slaves. And yet, we voluntarily make ourselves slaves to Jesus Christ, but that's a big difference. And actually, every man, woman, and child have all been slaves to sin at one time, but now we're slaves to righteousness, and we voluntarily make ourselves servants by our free heart to the Lord. So what does a slave mentality look like? Um, One of the attributes of having a slave mentality is that you mistreat others, and you even turn against those trying to help you. Like the Hebrew slave hitting the other one, he turned against Moses, and we turn against other people who are trying to help us. Um, It's one that is fear-based. We respond to things or people because of our fears, and those fears fuel our actions and um, of our decisions. So our decisions are coming out of fear, and it's not from wisdom or counsel of His Spirit. We're not guided by faith when we have a slave mentality. Um, We just may, it also may involve fear of punishment. So there is no need for faith if you have a slave mentality. Uh, The Israelites didn't have faith and God like Moses. That's why they still were under the rule of others. Their mentality is still being under the rule of others. They didn't have an encounter with God that was real to their hearts, that led them to faith, so they needed rules to live by. So God, in order to protect them while they still struggled to get free, is that he gave the law as constraint and boundaries out of his mercy and protection. Because, you know, when people don't have relationship and don't have faith in God, sometimes the only way they stay in line is through the boundaries and the constraints of the law, just like the laws of our land. Uh, Another trait of a slave mentality is it involves a drivenness. Because just like the slaves of Egypt, you know, to perform the hard labor, they were driven by the crack of the whip or threat of losing their very lives. And so today you equate that with um, people who are so driven in their jobs or in their relationships out of fear of man or um, fearing God. And you know, there are people who hate their jobs or they're mistreated and they don't do anything about it because they're afraid that, well, if I lose this job then, and see it's their fears that keep them stuck in certain places of their life people who remain in abusive relationships it's out of fear and so they're not tr- having faith or trust in God and so they stay in that that fear-based place and or the way they drive themselves to better themselves and in, and and get ahead and get ahead and get ahead um, you know from all different means of advancement is this is a drivenness um, also slaves are not relational they don't have normally great relationship with their slave master right and so um, people are like that. They, they have that slave mentality, and they don't really have relationships with other people. Uh, they become followers of rules and regulations, even self-imposed ones, as a substitute for real faith. And they have standards that neither they nor others can attain to or live up to or maintain. You know that's from that slave mentality. You don't need faith; you can just follow rules and regulations. Uh, another trait of slave mentality is performance-oriented or people-pleasing. Uh, another trait is survival-mode living. This is a major one. <laughs> is sur- they're just living from day to day, only to survive. Uh, they become desperate. They have no joy. They no hope. Just surviving or existence living. You know, Israel was under oppression for 400 years, so each generation just survived, and there was probably not much hope for joyful living. They just existed, you know. Another trait is a spirit of resignation, non-fighting, non-resisting, non-defensive. Um... You can imagine the Israelites were thinking, well, my, my grandfather was a slave, and my great-great-grandfather was a slave, and my great-great-grandfather was a slave, so you know this is just who we are. So they didn't even think about freedom. It, it, every generation perpetuates it. Um, you know, the Hindu caste system today that still exists, if you're like in the lowest of the caste system, you don't even have the right to try to get out. That's who you are. You're stuck there. It's such a hopeless thing. Um, God (coughs) exhorted, uh, uh, exhorted Israel through Isaiah about not letting people walk all over them. I love this scripture. It says, Isaiah 51, verse 7 through 23, Listen to me, you who know righteousness, a people in whose heart is my law. Do not fear the reproach of man, nor be dismayed at their revilings. I, even I, am he who comforts you. Who are you that you are afraid of man who dies, that you have forgotten the Lord your maker, that you fear continually all day long because of the fury of the oppressor? The exile will soon be set free and will not die in the dungeon, nor will his bread be lacking. I will put it in the hands of your tormentors who have said to you, lie down that we may walk all over you. You have made your back like the ground and like the street for those who walk over it. We do. We lay down and just take it. Let people walk over us. You know, slaves are often bitter or resentful toward their master, and they do just only what is required and not the, and just the minimal, nothing more, and then expect rewards or thanks for it. You know, just you know, expect thanks and praise for just doing what they're supposed to do. And we are like that sometimes. Do something that only because we're told what to do. You know, Jesus said in Luke 17:7, 7, he says, Which of you having a slave plowing or tending sheep will say to him when he comes in from the field, Come immediately and sit down to eat. But will he not say to him, Prepare something for me to eat, properly clothe yourself and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterward you may eat and drink? He does not thank the slave because he did the things which were commanded, does he? So you too, when you do all the things which are commanded you, say, We are unworthy slaves. We have done only that which we have ought to have done. And so many times in Christianity, your heart cannot be in the right place and you just do it out of duty only, just out of duty. And there are times when we are in that place in our life and we're in a dry place, but you don't want to stay there. You know, you want to get to the place where your heart is fully engaged. And so out of a love relationship, That fuels our passions and our desires to to serve him uh, out of sonship, not just out of duty. Um, I heard a report on the news recently about a lady missionary who was held captive for many years. And when she finally gained her freedom, she had a hard time, she said, adjusting back to everyday life. She was so overwhelmed by the littlest everyday decisions that we take for granted, such as what to prepare for dinner, what to wear, and, uh, and what to buy. Because all those years, she could only do what she was told to do. So it wasn't in her power to make any decisions for any aspect of her life. And so uh, we are like that sometimes with God, that we just want him to tell us what to do and we do it. But we're not. We don't. We get so overwhelmed when people come into the place where they mature in their journey with the Lord. You know, they have that place where they're like, "Well, Lord, tell me what to do. Well, tell me where to go. Well, tell me what to wear. Well, tell me this and tell me that." Well, you know, it is okay to ask God for some things. But when we get more freedom and God doesn't tell us those things, they almost panic. They get kind of lost because God's not telling me what to do. And so, rather than deal with the responsibility of freedom. We go back to our old ways because it's easier than having freedom, mm-hmm. and because we have afraid of making a mistake, or we feel, or we fear making God angry. And it's so true because I can relate to this. Now, also, uh, slaves will t- uh, mistreat others the same way relationally, whether it's their spouses, their kids, their friends, their employees, or un- people under their charge. Um, people can use people just to advance their personal agendas or allow oneself to be used or you know what can i get out of somebody that's the only reason why you're relating to that person is what you can get out of them they're not interested in uh, real relationships or just advancing oneself or one's personal goals i knew someone once that i was friends with that she was a very goal oriented person and she just felt like she had this calling in her life for some particular thing and she was always looking for those divine connections to uh, because she wanted to advance God's kingdom. And one time, I thought that sounded pretty spiritual. I was kind of impressed with that. And so one time she had said that she just didn't have time for frivolous relationships with people. If this relationship that I'm or connection I'm in doesn't help advance God's kingdom, I'm not interested. I was like, wow. Because I realized, well, gee, I guess that includes me because I wasn't part of advancing her personal goals. And so I thought that was sad because what can sound so spiritual is pretty shallow and self-centered. And so she would just use people. I hope she's overcome that challenge in her life by now. Um, We can have also a mindset as a slave that whatever we do is just not good enough. And we've got to do more. And you know that really breaks God's heart because I have struggled with that myself. And I have to to fight against it. Whatever you do is never good enough. We fight against that every aspect of our life with other people as well. This is not good enough. When you have that slave mentality, you get that way. But when you have freedom, those things don't get to you. Um, Slaves don't try to fight back anymore. They're unaccustomed to having any means of defense. The Israelites didn't have any arms. They didn't have swords. they, they, They did not know how to fight. And so you can just give up. You know, although Israel was way outnumbered by the e- Egypts, they could, Egyptians, they could have easily overtaken them just by sheer number. But because they had that slave mentality, they were deceived and thinking that there was nothing they could do. And you know they could have. They could have. But God knew that they couldn't free themselves, so in his mercy he intervened. And now that's how God is with us. He, he will intervene in our lives out of his love for us. You know, Israel had to be taught how to do warfare You read about that in the book of Joshua and Judges. They had to be taught warfare or else they would just sit down and expect God to divide every Red Sea. that came across their pathway. And that's how we are. We can experience deliverance by God, but then expect him to bail us out out of everything. And it's like God will deliver us, but he wants us to, like, cooperate (laughs) and do some warfare on our own. So reprogramming has to occur. You know, slaves cannot respond by words alone, but by pressure exerted on them to respond, just like the beating. So when God sees that we are not responding to his little love taps, his word, signals here and there, when words aren't getting through and he always tries words first because that's who he is, then he will allow pressures of life to get us to move us in the right direction. And he's not doing it to punish us. And that's how we interpret that, you know, because you know my husband and I, we're going through some challenges and we can easily have the mindset of, oh my goodness, what are we doing wrong? God is angry with us, you know. We must have really messed up in life. But I know in my heart that He is not angry at us. That it's 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 to get us somewhere. And I may not see it right now, but the pressure is still, it is gonna, it's still gonna get us in the right direction, because that's how God is, right? I can't see the Red Sea divided yet. But we're going to get through it. And so God is doing it because he's so compassionate to apply pressure. And people try to rescue other people that are under some pressure. And sometimes you can get in God's way trying to uh, intervene. Um, I remember one time uh, a lady, her son would come in while she was gone and party, had parties and tra- the house would be trashed. And she was out of town once, and her friend was like, oh, gosh, you know, she's already experienced so many problems right now. We've got to go in and clean up the house before she gets back into town. And, boy, red flags went up in my spirit. I'm like, uh-uh, I'm not, I'm not helping. Because that son, he's in his 20s, and he, his mother needs to see and not be re- not, him not be rescued from the consequences of his actions. His mother needed to see this and needed to get good and angry. And then they did go in and clean up the house. And I'm like, that is not love. True love is to let that house stay a mess. Yes, it would have overwhelmed our friend, but it, it needed to happen. And I wouldn't be any part of it. Um, we, can, we can perpetuate a slave culture in our family, in our business lives, and in our church life, and in relationships with others. A whole church can get a slavery mindset. And it's this, don't do this, don't touch that, do this, do that. And the underlining signal is, in order to be accepted by us and by God. And it keeps people in a wrong relationship with God. Just tell me what I can do so I can obey and be accepted. That is not sonship mentality. It's fear-based, it's man-pleasing. And, you know, the sad thing is, is that... um, It's a known fact, statistically, that many youth, when they get into young adulthood, will leave church and have nothing to do with church or God, even if they grew up in the church. And I wonder why. Maybe because they never experienced sonship, and they only did what they were told to do. Maybe they were raised in a church where it was all about rules and regulations or traditions to where they never established that freedom in their hearts. And you get bitter and embittered and, and want to have nothing to do with God and church when you can gain your freedom. And so it's, it's, it's very sad. Um, you know, also there are scriptures about how God is wanting sons and daughters. And it's a different word than even though he calls us children of God, God is wanting sons and daughters. We're not to stay children all our lives. Even though we are children of God... We don't want to spiritually stay children just doing only what we're told to do. They're actually different Greek words of what God is looking for. Um, Slave churches and individuals beget slave children. And it perpetuates it for another generation. On the other hand, free sons beget free children. So the more free you are, the more your children or spiritual children will be free. So God equates slavery with being under the law. Now listen to this in Galatians. And um, Galatians is a great book about that freedom. Starting uh, Chapter 4, ver- starting with verse 10, it says, You observe days and months and seasons and years. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, do you, not, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the bondwoman and one by the free woman. But the son by the bondwoman was born according to the flesh and the son by the free women through the promise. This is allegorically speaking, for these women are two covenants, one proceeding from Mount Sinai, bearing children who are to be slaves. She is Hagar. Sounds like some churches. Now this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free. She is our mother. What does the scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be an heir with the son of the free woman. So then brethren, we are not children of a bondwoman but of the free woman. That's the NASB translation. The Holman's Christian Standard Bible Translation says throw out the slave and her son, for the son of the slave will never inherit with the son of the free woman. You know, when you are have a slave bondage, it can't coexist with faith and sonship. They're diametrically opposed. That's why we have so much struggle in our faith and our heart with the Lord because we got to break free from that to receive the sonship. You know, we, we can use people or allow ourselves to be used or even afraid to serve God because he might what he might ask of us. What, he, you know, what is he expecting? Oh gosh, I don't know. And I really struggled with that based on some things in my past. I was really afraid of what God might demand of me. I was afraid of feeling used and because God doesn't treat us the same way. Even though he uses us, he doesn't use us the same way that people do. Um, You know, there are people who are like workaholics, and they're the boss. And then they beget slaves around them, and they make so much demands on people around them, expecting them to be as driven as they are. And those are the, that's the evil under the sun that Ecclesiastes talks about, that pe- they were meant to rule because they're, they treat people like slaves, because they're driven too. Um, so we can, when we make those type of demands of ourselves or others, we end up resenting that person or resenting God because we think the wrong way about God. Um, people also have the mentality that they are working for God, and that's not sonship not sons and daughters. We're not God's employees. We are his children. That's a big difference. So righteousness and acceptance isn't from what we do because we already positionally are accepted by Christ, completely loved and accepted for just who we are. We have a hard time believing that. And we, we want to serve and love God out of the outflow of that love. When we cannot accept that type of gift of sonship, we resort back to the old ways under the law. And that's, a, that's the type of relationship we have. And it truly is a religion. Mm-hmm. And now, Romans 6.16 says, Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are the slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness? But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed and having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. You know, the Lord spoke a lot through Paul with this analogy, because in his time, slave, having slaves and servants was very popular. It was just a a normal part of their culture. And so he used that in order to reach them and to understand the difference of what it means of freedom in the Lord and, and sonship. Um, children are not any different than slaves because both slaves and children are kept under the custody of parents or slave masters. And that is why, like I said before, they throw off the church and constraints and leave the faith because they only knew how to live by rules and traditions and they become embittered. Galatians 3.12 says, However, the law is not of faith. But before faith came, before faith comes deeper in our heart." We were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to the faith, which was later to be revealed. Therefore, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Galatians 4, 1 and following says, As long as the heir is a child, he does not differ at all from a slave, although he is owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by the father so that he might redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive the adoption as sons. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir. If a son, then an heir through God. See the progression? So when we relate to God like slaves, even, even though we're relating imperfectly to God, God knows how to relate back to us. So he will meet you where you are. He will meet you as one as a slave with your laws and constraints until he brings you to that place of freedom and sonship. And then you—and sometimes that happens when you come to the place of futility, when you realize that what you are doing is not working, <laughs> and you get so mad at God, and you get so frustrated, because that's at that point that you reach out for freedom. You either walk away or you reach for the freedom, because you realize that your way of relating to God is futile and it's not giving you joy or hearts, desires, or passion, you see. So Israel resisted Moses because in Exodus 5, 9, it says, they did not listen to Moses on account of their despondency and cruel bondage. They had to get so sick of it. They were so desperate for freedom. So they followed him even though they didn't trust him completely. That's why we have to have compassion for other people when they can't seem to hear the voice of the Deliverer because the slave can't respond to words alone. That's why there can be preaching and teaching after preaching and teaching, and it doesn't have an effect on our hearts because we're so under bondage sometimes and the enemy attacks us and we can't hear the Lord, but he is there and he will help us through whatever bondage we are under because he did it for Israel and he will do it for every one of us because he doesn't want us to stay in a place where it's cruel. You know, he's not angry with us. We're not under his wrath, but God is angry with our oppressors that keep us under that type of slave mentality. And so he's not waiting for us to mess up so he can punish us because he wants sons and daughters who will rule and reign at his side with him. That's a great picture, isn't it? And so he will fight for us. And he exhorts us to want this freedom because he says in Isaiah 52 too, shake yourself from the dust. Rise up, O captive Jerusalem. Loose yourself from the chains around your neck. Slaves wore chains around their neck. O captive daughter of Zion, for thus says the Lord, you are sold for nothing, and you will be redeemed without money, without cost, ourself. We don't have to buy our freedom because at his own cost, through Jesus, he redeems us, and we'll see the hand of God in our lives. To operate under that spirit of sonship, we have to throw off that yoke of slavery, or else we train ourselves to only respond to God when major pressure is applied to our lives. We'll keep falling back into old ways. Then God will allow this pressure to come along, and then you get all frustrated, and then he'll allow this one, and and that's the only way sometimes he can get our attention. Um, And I'm glad that he applies pressure because sometimes we will stay where we are forever. He doesn't do it to punish us but to free us. Perseverance is the key, like that little boy. Galatians 5 1 says, It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery, so that he might redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. It's there, it's been sent, it's just not been tapped into. You know, it's not enough just to get free from the slavery mindset you then move toward that sonship experience so that you can have more fullness of God's life in us that he desires. In order to obtain full legal rights given to us as sons and daughters and heirs to the kingdom, we must reach out for it. Be determined to obtain obtain more freedom in your life because there's always more levels of freedom. No matter how many years you walk with the Lord, there's always another level of freedom. And it's already written in the will of God, just like a written will, and we just have to appropriate it. So, what happens if uh, one does not obtain the sonship? Well, according to Romans eight thirteen through seventeen, the natural result is a form of spiritual death, or the effects of our lives. For we are, if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. It, it's a natural result. If you keep living that way, it will cause some death to take place in your heart. That's a very bad place to be. But if by the Spirit you're putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption by which we cry out, Abba, Father. We don't have to try to be his sons. We already are. We just want to step into his shoes that he's designed and provided for us. You know, like little kids, how they get in, they get in and walk into daddy's shoes, and they're laughing and giggling and tripping over themselves, and they, they look so goofy. Well, you know, when we, when we even make any attempt to walk in our, our heavenly daddy's shoes, I think he smiles and laughs at us too. And he wants us to, because we're meant to walk in his shoes. And so it's just like a prophetic thing, you know. And we might be awkward, and we might fall down, and we may feel silly or strange, but we got to step in those shoes. You know, um, I saw a quote in a book, it says, the world's vision, version of chosenness is usually at the expense of another being rejected. Like if someone is chosen for a teen, that means somebody else was rejected, and the uh, You know, someone is chosen for Miss America, it means all the others were rejected. Whereas God's chosenness is for our benefit to belong. It's totally different than the world's aspect of chosenness. How do we become more aware of a mindset like this uh, slavery mindset to know what to do about it? One thing is pay more attention to your thought life, what you are allowing to go through your head. What is behind your motives for your decisions and how you interact with others? For example, are you saying to yourself, if I don't do this, then I'm afraid this will happen. Or if I do this, then this might happen. And then that's what colors our decisions. It's, it indicates fear-based way of relating, not sonship. It's not about making sure every decision we make is right. Well, we all make mistakes. It's about what's the driving force behind it. What's going through our thoughts before we make a decision? You know, that's what we want to look at. It's all about freedom and having peace and life and joy in the Spirit. Another thing you can do is ask yourself this, and this is a very hard thing sometimes to hear, but when was the last time that you have had a moment with God when in your heart you really cried out, Abba, Father, where you just really had an experience of revelation where he was so real to you. Where, wow, God, you're really taking care of me. You are my Father in heaven. You know, it's not about a me thing. It's about the fact that life is really hard. And sometimes we need a rekindling of our relationship, just as our earthly relationships can dry up. Our relationship with God can dry up, and we need the fires to be rekindled. And we all go through that. What I'm saying is not to bring shame, or make people feel bad about themselves. It's just a, an awareness of that mentality that creeps into our life because God loves us so much. He wants more freedom. And, and it, it's not condemnation. It, you know, it's just he wants us to hear it so we can get free. When, uh, before Mike and I went out west um, this summer to, for a family reunion, I knew that one of his brothers was planning a really big hike and a challenging hike at that. Well, Mike has, you know, three brothers and six nephews. So, you know, we have no women in the family. And I was thinking all along, I, you know, I'm afraid I won't be able to keep up. You know, I know I'll be the only woman that will take that hiking trip. I'm afraid I'm not going to be ke- keep up with those long-legged men who are all much better <laughs> shaped than I am. And I was really afraid, you know. I don't want to be hold- holding people back. And, you know, at some point when I was out there, the Lord reassured me, it's going to be okay, Laura. They are honorable men, and they will look after you. And I, I'm thinking, well, that's great. Thank you, Lord. And and I didn't think about it. And, you know, you would, you would have thought, well, I don't know why I'm thinking that way. My husband will be with me. Well, as it turned out, Mike didn't get to take the rest of that hike because his dad came along, and he wasn't aware of this challenge of the hike. We got up to a certain point, and uh, he made it further than we thought he would, but he's like, you know, this is getting more and more steep, I think I'm going to have to turn back. So Mike went back with his dad to keep him company. Well, I went ahead with the, with the rest of the group. And in just after maybe five minutes, at one point when a, the t- trail turned, they were almost all out of sight, and I was panicking. Oh, but, hey, you know, I was thinking, uh, don't forget about me back here, you know? But I was too busy breathing heavy, right, <laughs> to, to be able to yell out and get their attention. But sooner or later, right after that, One of his brothers stopped, turned back, and saw that I was behind, and he waited for me. And then the rest of the hike up and the rest of the hike down, and I thought about this later. I thought, every one of them took turns staying back with me without even discussing it. It just kind of happened that way, that each one of them was either right in front of me or right behind me. One of them grabbed my backpack trying to keep me from falling in the snow. It it, it didn't work. <laughs> but he had he was he was he's the only one as short as I am and it wasn't helping. I appreciated the gesture. I felt like a little kid he was trying to hold me up. <laughs> and so later on that night I was in bed and I was reflecting on the day. And I came to tears, and I said, you really are my father in heaven. My, the littlest concern in my heart, he heard it, and he addressed it. And I was like, you really are my father in heaven, and they are honorable men. And they all come from good blood, let me tell you. <laughs> and that's just how God is, and the fact that I've always wanted to do a hike like that. And I teared up because it was so beautiful, and I was like, I'm doing it, I'm doing it. I did it, I did it, and it was a dream come true, and I was like, thank you, Father, You know, those are the type of little love signs that God sends to us that says, you are my daughter, you are my son, you're not a slave. You know, it's little love signs like that. If you look for them, you will find them. You know, so that's what I want you all to do is to look for those signs that speak to your heart, even in the littlest things of life. It's really not that hard. You have to expect to experience God in more intimate ways like the word that came forth today. Don't be so busy just living your life, that you miss the little messages reminding you. Like Elijah on the mountain, you know, he kept looking for God. He wasn't in the wind. He wasn't in the earthquake. He wasn't in the fire. He was in a still, small voice. And it can be the thoughts of him speaking to you or those type of things like that that sh- that is God is speaking. We sometimes we can't get our eyes off the big stuff that's going on in our lives, and we miss the love signs all along the way that God is sending to us. One, another time I'll share real quickly is um, I, I wasn't planning on this, but I had that time when I wasn't working, and I was just getting so bored all that time at home. And, and I had a dentist appointment that morning, and I was like, Lord, what do I do with this day? I, I'm just like, what, what can I do to make this an interesting day? He's like, go take some pictures. He knew I loved taking pictures, and I'm like, where? What? Take pictures of what? And he's like, just go take some pictures. Well, I went to my um, dentist appointment, and there on the receptionist counter was a big vase of these beautiful sunflowers. And they make me smile, and I'm like, oh, I love sunflowers. I'm like, oh. And then all of a sudden, the memory came to me of another lady telling me about a sunflower field in Virginia Beach by a Farmer's Market. And I'm like, I know where I'm going to go. I think that's a sign from God. So I went there, and um, it was a little past their due, and there was only a couple sunflowers left, and I went in and got my camera out, set up my tripod, took a cool picture that ended up winning uh, first place in the photography club that I was in um, for the slide category, and I got first place. I was like... (laughs) Yes. <laughs> and, then, and then as I went in, and, I was, and they, the, the people in the market says, well, did you get your pictures of the sunflowers? I said, yeah, there aren't too many left out there. And they said, well, you know, if you stick around, we're having a delivery of sunflowers coming. I'm like, really? And like 20 minutes later, after I got done taking pictures in the market, in comes the station wagon. The whole back was filled with sunflowers. I mean, reaping with sunflowers. And I'm like... That is only God. (laughs) And so she goes out. The lady goes and she brings a little red wagon and she piles them into buckets of water and reels them in and she just leaves them on the floor. I'm like, that's a perfect picture. It was this cute market with the jams and the jellies and the old-fashioned type farmer's market with the sunflowers and the red wagon in the foreground. I'm like... My father in heaven loves me. And I saw him, I'm like, I'm just going to have to buy some and take some home. So I did. And every time I look at him, they make me smile. But they don't last very long, let me tell you. (laughs) So, you know, you have to take time for reflection. You know, because people say, I don't have time to sit and be quiet. I'm like, I beg to differ. We take time for reflection every day. We reflect on all the things we're worried about. We reflect on all the things on our to do list. We reflect on all the things we're going to do to make this happen or keep that from happening. And so we think about what went wrong and how we could have done it better. And we waste so much time reflecting on all those things. And if we just take some of that time that's wasted and give it to the Lord and re- pulling that all aside and just reflecting on that day and how the Lord may have sent a love message to you, you know, how he he loved me that day and how I can love him back. It would be much more fruitful. We really only truly want to fulfill God's command to love God with all our heart, our mind, our soul, and our strength and to love others as ourselves. We can't do that as the slaves because it's impossible. But under sonship, we can. And it's God's grace to bring us into sonship. He will do it by his grace. He will bring each and every one of us to that place. So back to the commercial at the beginning about the little boy. Because all through life, many of us are throwing up the ball, and we're trying to hit the ball and be the best husband in the world, the best wife in the world, the best son or daughter, the best business person. I'm going to be the best this and the best that, fill in the blank. And we strike out and we get discouraged, and we feel like we struck out in life because we're looking for an identity in that success, and we strike out every time. And so we want to be like the little boy that gets the revelation at the end when he turned the other way. And we want to say, I am the most loved daughter of the Most High God, woohoo, and run off the field and keep running the race of life. That's where we want to get to. When, the, when that sonship occurs, it's going to happen just like that. We're going to have that light switch come on, and it's going to be like, I really am his daughter. I really am his son. You know, so throw out the slave and her son now. So I want to pray for us. <laughs> So, Lord, I just want to pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ and for those that are not here and for the body of Christ at large and the churches in our area. And, Father God, we just join hearts and minds and ask, Lord God, thank you, Lord, that by your grace you're going to bring sonship into your church. How are we going to bring the orphans into the kingdom if we're still operating like slaves ourselves? Break us free from everything that is holding us into bondage, God. Lord, let us be ones that throw off that yoke off of ourselves, God, and to be free so we can be able to truly set others free. Lord, whatever it is that's standing in the way of our freedom and our sonship, I ask God for your mercy and your grace and your compassion to be upon every one of us. To help us to get more free than we ever thought possible, Lord, to bring glory and honor to your name. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thank you for joining us. For more information about Destiny Spirit Church or additional teaching CDs or training events, please visit our website at www.destinyspirit.com or you can write to us at Destiny Spirit Church. P.O. Box 15252, Chesapeake, Virginia, 23328. Thank you.